0: be going backwards in the Bible, but forwards in time. Um, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah today, so open up there if you would. We have been in the book of Daniel, so we're going to be turning back to near where we were last time, remember 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, so on and so forth. If you get to Psalms, you're not you you're too far, okay, you need to need to hang a left if you get to Psalms. So we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to pick up reading in verse one, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Now today, uh, I'm not going to fill in all the history of what's happened between the end of Daniel and ne- uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 because uh, well, it's not really germane to what we're talking about. But it is enough for you to know that after the end of Daniel, uh, the Jews were given a chance to go back to Jerusalem. They had a chance to rebuild Jerusalem and, and the temple and things. And many Jews went back to Jerusalem, and they've rebuilt the wall. That's what's happened earlier in Nehemiah. They're working on rebuilding the temple, and that's that's kind of the the context of what's going to happen in Nehemiah chapter eight. They've just finished the wall around the city. It's a, a great time for them. They're all uh, they've all been celebrating. They're very happy. They're feeling optimistic about things, and that's where we're going to pick up. In particular, what I want, want to focus on in our accounts today is just one element, and that is the element of the preaching event. And this is important because this is the first time in all of biblical history, and when you think about it, you don't really see too much preaching until you get to the New Testament, especially with Jesus and John the Baptist, and then, of course, later with the apostles and stuff in the book of Acts. You don't really see too much preaching. This is the first time in in Scripture that we have the Scriptures being read and then explained in the way that we're going to see it today. And it may seem like a strange thing to preach about preaching, But I'm doing it for a couple of reasons first, and most importantly because it's in the Bible, and that's, that's where I get my preaching material from. But another reason I'm doing it is because if I were to ask you to turn to your neighbor and define what preaching is, you'll probably not really know what to say. You might say, well, that's what we're getting ready to listen to, or, or something like that. But let's say we were at Walmart, and I said, tell the first person you saw what preaching is. You'd probably be at a loss. And if you did define it, if you did come up with with an explanation of what it is, you would probably do it in the context of what you've experienced as either good preaching or bad preaching. You probably would not base your definition wholly on the Bible. Sometimes when we begin to consider what something is, it's helpful first to consider what it's not. So what is preaching not? Well, preaching is not giving a speech. When you, come up, when you give a speech, you come up with a topic, you come up with an idea, and then you give your opinions about that idea. If it's a persuasive speech, you try to get other people to have the same idea, the same opinion that you have about this topic that you've come up with. But that's not what preaching is. That's not the goal of preaching. Preaching, if it's true biblical preaching, has to be based on, in line with, tied to, focused on, the Word of God. Now, in the New Testament, there are several words translated as preach, preacher, preaching, all those derivatives. And they have a, a common theme that runs through them. And the words that are used have this idea of proclaiming, of heralding, of, of giving this announcement from the king. And in, in the case of, of the scriptures, we're giving, we're giving the good news of the gospel. That's what we're pro- proclaiming. That's what we're heralding. And if a person does not preach the gospel... And I'm not just talking about how to be saved, I mean how it works in daily life. Because that's that's really what the epistles that the Paul writes, you know, Romans and the Corinthians and all that. Those are really just an application of the gospel. How does it, how's it going to make your life change? How's it going to look now? If a person doesn't preach the gospel and how it works out, not just theologically, but the nuts and bolts of daily living, they're not really preaching. It's also not a dog and pony show. Some, some churches, they use a production to get a crowd. And you can do that because a spectacle always draws a crowd. But a circus also draws a crowd because it's, it's a spectacle. Um, now, Jesus, whenever he was in, whenever he was preaching, he experienced this. You remember, people would flock to him, but they did it oftentimes to see him perform a miracle or to be fed. But then when he started giving them teaching, what did they do? A lot of them would, 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 would withdraw. They didn't. they were like, oh, that's that's too much. I, I don't want to hear this this business about uh, forsaking all my all my my pleasures, my sins, and following you wholeheartedly. I, that's that's too much, Jesus. I'm going to step away from that. So it's not giving a speech. It's not a dog and pony show. It's also not based on man's opinion, popular culture, or pop psychology. Now the rabbis, when they would teach, they would teach man's opinion. And that's why when you read the the New Testament it says that the the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught as one having authority. And that's significant because when the rabbis would teach they would read some portion of the law and then they would say Rabbi Ben Judah says such and such. And then they would would say Rabbi Gamaliel says such and such. They would never say thus saith the Lord. But that's what Jesus did. So it's not based on man's opinion and it, it reminds me of this the story I read about this uh, young preacher—he went to a college town. He was taken up his his church, and and he told his dad, who was also a, a seasoned preacher, he said, "Dad, I'm I'm kind of handicapped in the ministry in which I find myself because it's a college town, and, and a lot of the professors of the local college come to my church. And if I ever if I ever mention anything about geology, well, I've got Professor A sitting here and." And, and I'm, I'm intimidated, I, I'm embarrassed. And if I say, if I use Roman mythology for an illustration, well, I've got Professor B who teaches that. And he's always there to trip me up with any inaccuracy that I say. And, and Professor C, well, you know, he teaches English, and I love to quote some, some author, but I'm, I'm, I'm just intimidated to say anything uh, even related to English literature. What do I do? The wise old preacher thought for a moment. He said, Well, son, don't be discouraged. Just preach the gospel. They probably know very little about that. <laughs> you know, preaching is, is not man's opinions. It's not, it's not pop psychology. It's none of that. It's biblical. It's digging into the scriptures because it is literally God's word. It's not man's word. It's not man's opinion. It's God's word. And man's opinion, especially mine, is not worth a whole lot. And your opinion is not worth a whole lot. God's word is the one that's important. And that's why we focus on it when we preach. So, what is preaching? Well, everybody who thinks about preaching has their own definition of it. Probably the most famous one is by Phillips Brooks. You may have heard it before. It's the uh, communication of truth through personality. That's concise, short. I like it. I'm not quite as concise and short, nearly as much as a wordsmith as he is. My definition is preaching is the spirit empowered. from a distinctly Christian standpoint, so that people will have an encounter with God. Like I said, mine's this big, his is this big, but anyway, that's just the way it is. Now, I realize that in preaching about preaching, I may be setting up a standard that I don't live up to all the time, but I do try. And I have responsibilities. And you say, okay, then keep them to yourself, let us go eat. But you know what? You guys have a responsibility too. And that's we're going to look at all that here. In Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 1. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to stand as, as we read God's word. So stand up if you would, and we'll look at Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law to Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Israel, the, uh, Ezra the priest Brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, he read from it from uh, before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden uh, at the wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood. I'll I'll be honest, I'm tempted to skip these, but they're here, so I'm going to give it a shot. And beside him stood Mattathiah, and Shema and Anah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Pideah, Mishael, uh, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashabaddanah, Zechariah and Meshulim on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed down low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Joshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabith, uh, Hodiah, Messiah, uh, Gileitah, Azariah, Jezabod, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the, the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to drink. It is important to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which have been made known to them. Thank you. You may be seated. The first responsibility that I see in this passage is one that you may not think of. In fact, if I were to ask you what the responsibilities of a preacher are, I would, I would almost bet money, if I were a betting man, that none of you would come up with this. The first responsibility is that the preacher needs to ensure the Bible is read out loud to the congregation. The first responsibility of the preacher is to, to ensure the Bible is read out loud to the congregation. Sometimes the preacher doesn't. In some churches, they have readers that are much better at reading than I am that do it. and but, but they need to ensure that it's done for the congregation. Now, the basis of this, look at verse 3 again. It says he read it from the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, the language that's used here, when it says that he read from early morning to midday, it means that he he did it from, like, first dawn. Now, as Charlotte mentioned earlier, I went deer hunting yesterday. And as I try to put this into perspective, I mean, this is like a six-hour stint, that all they did... Was read the Bible out loud. And there was some, some teaching experts in there, but most of it was just reading the Bible out loud. And I try to think, and, and I, I went out there, and it was dark, and I was up in the tree, and, and if, if you, you guys have been up before daylight, and if you've been out in the woods or something, you know what it's like. And things start to get a little bit brighter, and the, the, the birds start singing, and, and everything kind of wakes up. That was the time they started reading. And they did that until it was time to go eat lunch. That's a long time, it's about six hours. Now, we have a short service here. If you've ever been to, to other churches, I mean, we, we really do have a short service. It may not seem like it sometimes. Sometimes it may feel like the two ladies that walked out of the church, one said, whew, your preacher preaches a long time. The lady said, no, he doesn't. It just feels that way. Um, and there may, be some, there may be some times that it feels like we have a long service, but in the scheme of things, we really don't. And in some cultures, the length of my whole sermon is like the intro in other sermons, but even in those cultures, I can't, I can't imagine that there are probably too many places that would be okay with six hours of Bible reading, I mean, think about it, six hours, no, no, that's not the music included, that's not having a fellowship time, that's not getting up and shaking each other's hands, that's just a solid six hours of reading and teaching, and I don't know of any church that would gladly stick around for the whole thing. We struggle if we get to not six hours, but six verses, right? We're like, oh, mom on, preacher, this is a long text. Six hours. Now, this, you say, okay, this is a long time, I'll admit. What does that have to do with the preacher ensuring that the Bible is read out loud? Well, in the New Testament... 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Paul is talking to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says to young Timothy. He says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, the exhortation and teaching. And one reason this is so important, even today, now back then they wouldn't have had a lot of copies of the Bible like we do. I saw studies um, and, and poll numbers and stuff like that this week as I studied. The average American has 4.4, I don't know where the other .6 went on their Bible, but 4.4 Bibles in their home. The problem is not that we don't have the Bible. The problem is, even we as Christians don't read it. Now, I saw some some numbers this week that were very sobering. George Barna, his group does a lot of polls and stuff, and, and they did a survey called of the Bible in 2013. And this is, they, they, they polled Americans. And here's what it said. While 66% of those surveyed agreed that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life, 58% say they don't personally want wisdom and advice from the Bible. And about the same amount, 57%, read it fewer than five times a year. So listen, you have two thirds of the of the people that got pulled, we'll just say it's representative of the US. Two thirds of the people say the Bible has everything in it that we need to have a meaningful life. Almost the same number said, but we don't want any advice from it and we won't even read it. You say, But Pastor, that's just that's just the population as a whole. Turn your bulletin over if if you got one. I've included a graphic on there. Because LifeWay, our Southern Baptist conventions uh, group, they do a lot of research and things. And one of the things that they did in 2012, this is from September 2012, they did a survey of 2,000 and some odd people, but they're churchgoers. This isn't the population as a whole. These are churchgoers. And you'll notice that fewer than one in five churchgoers claim to read their Bible every day. Now, I just want to stop there. They claim to read their Bible every day. It's like asking the preacher how many people were there on Sunday. They'll give you a number ministerially speaking. You know, they, they may be including some other people that weren't there. Now, you talk to people about their their private devotional life, they tend to make things look better than what they are. This is less than 20% of the people even claim to read their Bible every day. The real number is probably lower. But even if all of them were honest, less than 20% of Christians, 80% don't read their Bible every day. almost the same amount, claim to rarely or never read their Bible. Churchgoers, almost 20% of the people claim to never even open the Bible. And these are people that go to church. So in other words, you, you, you think about this, if people don't hear the Bible in church, there's a good chance they never hear it and they never read it the rest of the week. That's why reading the Bible is so important. You say, but sometimes you read so much, and sometimes I do, and sometimes it is probably a little much for what I am preaching. But I know that if the averages are true, there's a 20 percent chance that any one of you hadn't read your Bible this week. So I'm, I'm giving you your dose of Bible. So that's the first thing we, as as preachers, need to ensure the Bible is read out loud to the congregation. The second thing that we need to do, you'll notice in verses 7 and 8, is we need to explain the Bible. We need to explain the Bible. Now, in verse 7, I'm not going to go back through all those names, but they explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. You'll notice there are three different words that are used there. There's explained, translated, translated, Gave the sense. And and two of those words, they explained and gave the sense, they're very similar ideas. That means they took the word of God and they unpacked it. They helped people to understand. They they shed some light on things. They allowed them to get a handle on it. And then the other word, they translated it. That was needed too because remember, these, these people have been in Babylon for 70 years. They would have been speaking mainly Aramaic at this point. Not Hebrew. It's kind of like if, if an immigrant comes to America, when they first come, they'll probably speak their native tongue in their homes. Maybe they'll speak English outside the home, but their kids, well, they'll be well, what will they be speaking? Well, they'll be speaking a little more English than what their folks did. But by the next generation, within seventy years, the grandkids' native tongue is English because they were born in America. And so that's what happened to these people. They so after after several years, everybody was just speaking the the Babylonian tongue, Aramaic. They didn't understand the Hebrew, so they translated it for them. Now, do preachers need to explain the Bible today? Yeah, of course we do. And a lot of the same reasons. One of the reasons is because now, there's a lot of good stuff in the Bible. There's a lot of there's it's full of deep truths that can change our lives. But the fact of the matter is, most of us don't have the time or the resources to dig at those gems ourselves. And so that's why it's good to have the preacher that can help us with that. And that's why expository preaching, that's unpacking those verses, that's why it's so important because the Bible, God's, it's God's Word and it alone has the power to change lives. Man's opinion doesn't have the power to change our lives. God's Word does. The Bible says that it is powerful and, and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, it's not enough just to say what it means, but, but we also need to see how it works in real life. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it work? What does it say? What does it mean? How does it work? Because if all you do is go and find out what something means, you've been educated, but you've not been equipped. And so the preacher helps us to see how we should respond to that truth. And, and frankly, I need that help because I'm a 21st century Christian. And these are first century Christians at best, sometimes thousands of years before in the Old Testament. There's a big culture gap. There's a big time gap. And my mindset is not the same thing as a Middle Eastern ancient person's mindset. And so I need, that help, bridging the, I need help with bridging that gap. And, and, and that's what preachers do. So those are the responsibilities from the text. And again, you say, I'll agree with all that. Now let's go eat. But that's not all. Because there are, there are some responsibilities we see that these Israelites had, and they did, that congregations have too. Somebody said the congregation preaches half the sermon. And you may not believe that, but that's, that's pretty accurate. There are three words, I've, or three A's. I've, I've, I've drawn these from the text, you'll see them as we look through that are the the responsibility of the congregation. First, look at verse 1. We need to have an appetite for the word. Look at verse 1. And all the people were gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given. They asked him to read it. They had a hunger for it. They had a desire for it. They wanted to hear it. Now here's an action step for you prepare yourself when you come to church prepare to come to church have an appetite for the things of God when you're here now I just want you to know the devil's going to try and trip you up on a Sunday and maybe you've never experienced this but I have Carl so and I get along great most of the time but if we're ever going to squabble guess what it is, Sunday morning seven, eight, nine o'clock we'll squabble Jesse's a good kid Two times when she's bad, right before bedtime. Guess when the other time is? Sunday morning. It, it never fails. The devil's going to try to trip us up because we need to be prepared. We need to have our minds ready for the things of God. Here, here's something practical. You say, "Well, that how's that look?" Come well rested. Sometimes I play the sleeping or praying game deal with somebody. Mm, I wonder if that person's sleeping or praying. Usually, I can tell. Another thing, come come just with a different expectation. Come expecting God to meet with us. If you do these things, you're going to be showing God you have respect for Him for for His Word. You care about what He said to us in His Bible, in, in the Word. And you never know, you may actually get something out of church. When an old preacher. He was. He was one of those. You know the old style preachers. They were kind of brash. They. Were, oh, they. You know, had fire in the bones. And he was one of those guys, and he was told about a lady who came and said, "I never get anything when you preach. I just don't get anything out of the service." And he said, you "Bring anything to put it in." Hmm. You know. Sometimes. I think he may have been implying something about her empty headedness in there as well, but but you know, sometimes we just don't bring anything to put it in. We we don't we don't come with an expectation of hearing from God. Have an appetite for those things. Second thing, look at verse three. We need to be attentive to the word. Look at what it says. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate. From early morning until midday, so about six hours, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand and listen, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. For six hours they were attentive. Six hours they were attentive. The word attentive here means that they gave ear. They gave ear to the word. They gave ear to what was being explained. You ever not been attentive when the preaching's going on? When the Bible's being read? I'm not going to make eye contact with anybody because I know the truth. I'm not blind. And we sometimes think, oh, well, I'm out here in the congregation. He can't see that I'm texting. He can't see that I'm talking to my neighbor. He can't see that I'm daydreaming. He can't see any of that. Well, guess what? I can. <laughs> and I can see it when your eyes glaze over and you're like, Woohoo, and there's nothing there. I can see that. But they were attentive. Make an effort to focus on God and what He's saying today through His Word. Sometimes we say, Oh God, just give me some direction, and then we'll go and and the sermon topic will be on what we're dealing with. But we don't pay attention. Maybe maybe that's where God's trying to speak to you and give you some of that direction or whatever it is. And you also notice something else out of verse 5. When he opened the book and decided of all the people, what they do? The people stood up. You may have noticed that we did something different today. We all stood up when it's time to read the Bible. And I want to start doing that because what does that do? That shows respect for the Word of God. And it's not just that it happened here. Think about uh, back in the book of Judges. Remember when uh, when Lefty killed Marty, when Hefty killed Fatty, whatever you want to say. Uh, Ehud, the left-handed judge, went in before the Moabite king Eglon. Remember the Bible says he was a fat man. And he was in there, and Ehud, the, the judge, he said, I've got a message from God for you and what did to do? stood up. Even a pagan king didn't have anything to do with God realized you need to show respect and honor for God's Word. He say, well, that's just Old Testament. What about New Testament? Jesus good enough example for you? When he went to Nazareth, his hometown, the Bible says that he went to the synagogue, and he stood when he got the scroll, and he read, you remember that passage out of Isaiah. And he says, you know, the Spirit is upon me and I've been anointed to, to preach uh, deliverance and, and all these things. And and today, and then he sat down and then he started teaching. Today it's been fulfilled in your hearing. He was on his feet to read the word. It's that it's that respect, it's that honor that we're showing. And that's, I want to start doing that. So they had an appetite for it. They were attentive to it. And finally they applied it. They applied it. Look at verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Notice it doesn't say they were yawning. A lot of times we hear it and we say, Okay, whoop de do Who cares? Now, we're not so brash as to say that. But that's the attitude that we have. Okay, now what? No, they applied it to themselves. The Book of James says, "If you hear the word and you don't act on it, if you are a hearer but not a doer, you're like somebody's got a dirty face, and they go and look in the mirror and they see how dirty they are, and then they go away and don't do anything about it, and they forget what they look like. That's pointless." He says, "He says if you do that, if you if you have an encounter with the Word of God and then you don't change anything, you don't wash off the grime, you don't you don't straighten up your life, it's done you no good." It's like this minister that took on a new church. And I remember my early days of preaching here, and I can identify with with this. You know, everybody loves the new preacher. And he preached his first sermon, and everybody came up, shook his hand. Oh, Pastor, you did such a good job. That's just what the church needed to hear. That's just what we need to tell it to us again. Oh, it's so great. And it was all it was great and good. The next week he comes, stands behind the pulpit. And everybody's confused because he preaches the same sermon. And then the next week he gets up and he preaches the same sermon again. Three weeks in a row. Well, after the third time the deacons went to have a meeting. And they said, Pastor, why are you preaching the same sermon over and over and over again? He said, Well, man, first time I was here. I preached and everybody came up to me and said, Pastor, that's just what we needed to hear. Thanks for sharing it. And then I watched your lives and didn't see any change. So I preached it again. And then I waited a whole other week and I didn't see any change. And so I preached it again. Do I need to prepare a fourth time? That's pretty brave. I don't know how long he had the job. But you know what? He was expecting change. He was expecting His people to apply what they were hearing to their lives. And the Bible tells us what God wants, what He demands, what He expects of His people. And, and like I said, if we hear the Word and then don't act on it, it does us no good. But if we'll strive to be obedient to His Word, we'll be living a life that pleases Him. It's, 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 it's not going to be a perfect life, but we're going to be trying to make God happy. You'll also notice on there, on that uh, the back of your bulletin, look at what it says. Uh, one of the bottom sections. It's like the number of people that... Oh, well, let me get mine out here. so I can find it. Throughout the day, I find myself thinking about biblical truths. These are church people. Only 59% think about biblical truths throughout the day. Wow. I desire to please and honor Jesus and all that. I do look at the other one three percent actually disagree with that three percent of people that go to church will actually tell people I don't want to please Jesus and all I do that there's something wrong right there something wrong and these again these are church people these are not people at the local atheist union these are people sitting on our pews see preaching is about more than the preacher preaching is about all of us The congregation preaches half the message. Sometimes I come in here and it's hard to preach. Sometimes it's easy to preach. Part of that's on me. Part of that's on you guys. So let's decide. Let's commit to all doing our part. You guys do your part. Have an appetite. Be attentive. And apply it to yourselves. Put it into practice. And all... I'll do my best to be, do my part. To read, to explain, to apply the word. That's what that's what preaching is. Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want you just in this time. think about the way that you encounter church, the way you encounter preaching it's just an activity you do a chore that you do an obligation you feel that you need to fulfill you ever come actually expecting to hear God talk to you and I don't mean in some mystical audible voice, I just mean convict you of your sin lead you in the way that you should go direction for a holy life. Do you ever think about Do you ever expect God to answer that? Do you find yourself not showing proper respect? Not for me. But for, the word of, for the Word of God. Do you ever scriptures. You hear it preached. You hear how you you hear the lessons. You see the lessons but you don't actually try to put it into practice. I mentioned earlier the gospel is not just how to be saved. It's not less than that either. And The gospel is the good news is even though we're sinners even though we all deserve death and hell, that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And if we will put our faith in Him, and Him alone for salvation, not salvation gained by Him plus works, not Him plus church attendance, not Him plus anything else, but Him alone, we'll be saved. We'll have our sins washed away. We'll be given a new life. We'll be adopted into God's family. That's what the gospel is ever done that, today is the day of salvation.